0: Welcome back to the Send It podcast. This is episode two. I'm your host, Chloe Smith. And today I have a super exciting story to get to share with you as well as just a really awesome guest. I've known Tyler Unger since 2013. I met him in New Zealand, but we didn't really become friends until we met back up in 2015 when we did a school together off of the coast of Auckland in New Zealand. Tyler's one of those guys who kind of goes after every adventure that comes his way. He's a very discerning person, has a lot of wisdom in what he does, but definitely a spontaneous spirit. He is currently living out of a converted van in Canada, and I wanted to have him on today to get to share with you guys a story that he told me last year um, about an attempted summit he did in 2016 on Aconcagua. It was one of those stories that when he told it to me, I was just incredibly inspired by him, not only his ability to cope when things went wrong, but also just his attitude throughout the whole thing. It made me realize how much I have to grow in being able to cope with kind of the mental aspects of some of these sports that we do. I am super thankful to have him as a friend, and I'm really excited for him to get to share this story with you. I hope that you enjoy it. Okay. Wait, (laughs) let's do a quick backup so tell me who you are and where you live and what you do real quick
1: (laughs) okay at the moment i live in squamish uh british columbia on the west coast of canada um self-termed as the outdoor recreational capital of canada Um, very aptly so it is um one of the meccas for mountain biking, climbing, um, kayaking, wind windsurfing, kiteboarding, like pretty much anything outdoors that you can imagine, we have it and we have um, very good terrain for it, very good conditions. Um, so the whole town is just full of adrenaline junkies, basically. <laughs> <laughs> um, in Squamish, I live in my van, which you can probably see I'm in right now. It looks more like a scary basement, I've been told, yes. but... <laughs> Um,
0: it's my favorite van. It's my favorite van.
1: <laughs> it's a work in progress. It's getting there.
0: What's your like outdoor fix of choice?
1: Ooh, I don't have one. Oh man. I I have found that over the years I spend a lot more time climbing, um, or um, even scrambling mountains. I just like going vertical for some reason. Um, okay. But that being said, like I I'm also really enjoying whitewater kayaking and. Um, I would mountain bike if I had five grand for a new bike, um, but I don't, so (laughs) I don't do that. Um, Yeah, it's, yeah, I'm pretty much anything outdoors in nature, I'm there, I'm on it.
0: How did you decide that you were going to do that trip?
1: Um, That's actually a really good question. Uh, It sort of, it took place over a couple of years before I ended up going. Um, I remember talking with one of my students that I was staffing at the DTS, um, like after DTS because um, we hung out quite a bit and we still do and go climbing and stuff like that. And um, One day we were just sort of talking and the idea of the Seven Summits came up, you know, the highest mountain on each continent. And yeah. we both got really stoked on it. Uh, but, you know, we, we sort of just thought it was one of those things where, you get stoked on it and, you know, it lasts a week or two and then you just start to move on to other things. Um, yeah. And so, but it didn't, right? Obviously. Um, it was maybe, it was probably eight months to a year later. Um, yeah. All of a sudden just the idea came up again, but we had, he had some friends that were cool and keen on it and I had some friends that were keen on it um, and then... Corey, uh, another guy from our DTS, another one of my uh, students that was there, he was keen on it. And all of a sudden, we had this crew, and everybody was super motivated. Yeah. Um, and it just sort of snowballed from there, and it kept growing, and sort of got to the point where we just realized, like, oh, this isn't just, you know, shooting the breeze. This is actually something that we're going to um, put a legitimate, intentional effort into accomplishing. Yeah. Um yeah, so it grew, and we set a date, and then we started getting sponsors, and we um, added a mission element to it as well. Um, and, yeah, and then eventually there we were on the mountain. So,
0: leading up to the trip, what, what were kind of the thoughts that were going through your head before you even set foot on the mountain? What were, kind of, what were you thinking about? What Um, were you stoked on and what were you what were some fears or were you worried about not making it or kind of what was going on?
1: The thought of making it or not making it wasn't really that important to me. I mean obviously like I (laughs) I spend a lot of time in the vertical world (laughs) and a big part of that is getting to the top. (laughs) (laughs) So especially when you when you put all this time and effort into planning such a massive expedition, it kind of goes without saying that you really, really want to get to the top. <laughs> um, so as much as I could possibly be, I was okay with not making it to the top, but I really wanted to make it to the top. Day one, we took a bus from Mendoza to uh, to the little town that you sort of depart from. Uh, that first day, we just camped right at the uh, start of the trail. Um, it is that little town... Puente de Inca is—it's pretty much in the middle of nowhere. It's not really even a town. There's like two houses, and um, that's about it. <laughs> it actually used to be the site of an old, like, spa sort of hot springs area, which you can still go see. There's just sort of ruins right now, and they're just—it's actually pretty spectacular. So we just explored that, um, and it was a pretty good time of exploring some ruins with uh, some good friends and getting stoked on what was to come. Yeah, um, yeah, It's like, it's a two-day trek just to get to the, the foot to base camp. Okay. Um, and from Puinta de Inca, if I remember right, it's about 20, I want to say 2,400 meters elevation. So it's already at that, sort of at that threshold where you would start feeling different altitude stuff. Yeah. Um, but we all felt great. We didn't feel anything. Um, and then as we took the two-day trek to base camp, which was at 4,300 meters, um, at that point, you're definitely in high altitude zone where you would start feeling. Yeah, when we arrived to base camp, at that point I was uh, starting to feel feel it quite a bit. <laughs> um, for someone that lives at ocean level, of course, it's yeah. it was a bit of a, a bit of a shock to the system, <laughs> especially to do that in two in two days because you're you're not really yeah. supposed to.
0: You're not acclimating.
1: No, it wasn't. It wasn't a proper um acclimation cycle based on at least what they recommend, right? It's too big of a jump too fast. Yeah. Towards the end of that second day, as we were getting up to base camp was when uh, the altitude started hitting me pretty hard. Um not as hard as it would hit me later on. Ooh, a little foreshadowing. Oh. Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um yeah, so the altitude sickness started affecting me. Um, and then at the same time, my, my shoulder, which I've had issues with ever since I was heli e-backed out of, the, out of um, the Arctic Circle, like years ago, that's always sort of stuck with me. Um, yeah. And when I carry heavy packs, sometimes it, it comes back with a vengeance, and it totally did. Uh, more than it had ever done before. To the point where yeah. it got completely debilitating, and I, and I almost couldn't even walk. It's just such an incredible amount of pain. Yeah, it was, it was definitely a moment sort of of reckoning for our team just to kind of realize, like, oh, shoot, like, things can happen out here. Um, and we're not even on the mountain yet. Yeah. Um, which was actually a little bit embarrassing for me. Cause I'm like, oh, I used to be, like, these guys' leaders, right? <laughs> and then now I'm, like, the first one to go down. Oh, man. Yes, that was a cool humbling moment as well. Um, yes, yeah, so we got to base count. Sort of hobbled my way in there. Um, and then we had a rest day. And uh, by the end of the rest day, I was feeling, you know, a lot more capable. That actually did a lot to me. It's amazing what one day at high altitude of, of acclimatizing and just resting will will do to your system. Yeah. And so, yeah, so the next day, I was cleared by the, uh, the base camp doctor to climb higher, which was very exciting. And I was still sort of nervous about my shoulder. But that never really surfaced again later which was awesome um i mean it was still there i could feel it and i had to be super conscious about it but yeah not not to the same degree but the climbs were also shorter it was just uh more about like high altitude than it was about carrying heavy weight after that yeah, yeah. so day 4 <laughs> Sweet yeah day four yeah so we're climbing day four we're climbing up from base camp we're doing a uh, an acclimatizing run we're carrying sort of half of our equipment that we're gonna use on the on the upper reaches of the mountain um, with us and we're gonna stash it at the at the next camp camp two um, which is coincidentally called camp Canada it's like on this beautiful rock perch and you can just see across the valley and it's it's pretty spectacular wow. Um, Yeah, so we're climbing up there, like obviously it's tough, here at high altitude and you're just sort of plodding one step at a time, a couple breaths, another step, a couple breaths, another step. Um, Climbing up there, that was actually alright, like it wasn't easy, but it was alright. We get up there and we stashed our gear and our duffels, spent a few minutes taking in the view and whatnot and then uh, headed back down to base camp for the night. And, uh, and that was all good. Definitely hard, but, like, you know, yeah. we did it. It was all right. We
0: did
1: it. Um, had our night, and the next day we were planning to move up to that camp. So that day, um, at the same time that we were climbing, um, there was a freak snowstorm. Um, sort of one like one of those once-in-a-decade sort of storms. Um, and we yeah. went from having sort of bare rocky ground heading up to um, like a meter of snow in some places uh, it was an immense amount of snow dumped overnight um, and he, it was it just kept going um, so we're climbing as the snow is starting to fall and we're climbing and the high altitude is playing with me a little bit more uh, but I still made it up there and it was all good and, as soon as I reached the camp, I sort of had to, I just sort of collapsed for a little bit. And I started coughing, which is not a really good sign at high altitude. And my, my lungs just couldn't quite get enough air. Um, yeah. Which is normal when you're at high altitude, but it was to a degree where it sort of felt like I was being choked out. Which oh is gosh. a super fun feeling. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the <It's
1: a> bit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but you know after after about you know five ten minutes of resting and getting you know my heart rate down and, and my body's need for oxygen down, um, it started to be all right and we started moving around we set up camp, we set up the tents um, sort of organized our, our things and started cooking dinner. Um, it was all all pretty good. Um, it's really hard to eat at high altitude because <laughs> you just nothing tastes good. Um, and you just don't want to eat, but you have to eat because you're burning so many calories every day. Yeah. Um, so I sort of force fed myself till I was full enough that I was happy I was getting enough calories. Um,
0: yeah.
1: At this point, like the snow is coming down thick, like really thick. Um,
0: Can you see it all?
1: Not past, I would say probably visibility was maybe like 15, 20 meters. So it wasn't that much, um, but at the same time, it wasn't awful yet either. Yeah, yeah. You could still sort of see the extensive of camp. Like, you weren't going to wander off a cliff or anything. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I, I fell asleep almost right away after after dinner because I was I was pretty done. Like, my body had a pretty drastic toll taken in on it during that day. Yeah. Um, so I went to sleep, or I tried to sleep anyways. I... I tried to sleep for probably like, that's probably eight, eight ish hours, like way into the night. Um, and I just ended up lying there and tossing and turning. And over the time, like, I just kept having this feeling in my stomach that grew worse and worse. And it's just like nauseating. And like, I don't get stomach sick very often. Um, even when I was in India or Pakistan, like, it just didn't really ever happen. I've got a pretty good stomach. Yeah. So when I start feeling like, nauseous it's usually a sign of something pretty bad it's <laughs> yeah it's like oh no something's happening i don't like this thing that's happening yeah it just grew until the point i think it was like two or three in the morning when it kind of all came to a, a climax of unfortunate events um and i was fighting it the whole time i was like no like i need that nutrition you have to stay in my stomach stay in my stomach stay in my oh no it's coming out (laughs) just in that moment I just ripped open the tent and stuck my head out in what had become a full-on blizzard (laughs) and just started hurling violently until there was nothing left in my stomach and then I continued hurling violently it was awful I woke up the, the the rest of the team in the tent next to us and uh, they can probably describe more what it sounded like, but um, apparently it sounded pretty bad. <laughs> Which, it was pretty bad. Um, so that was pretty cool that I um, vomited out all the uh, nutrition that I needed to recover from the day and work towards next. I tried to take a little bit of water to rehydrate after that and um, promptly went for a second bout of violent <laughs> vomiting. After that, you know, the thing, like, when you're at altitude and you, if you have, if you start vomiting, you can't recover from that. You can't rehydrate enough at altitude to recover. You have to head down right away. Otherwise, it's just going to get even worse. You might end up with HACE or HAPE, um, yeah. which are both life-threatening conditions. Yeah. So, the decision was made pretty quickly that, like, okay, yeah, Tyler's going back down to base camp and possibly getting um, hella evac out to uh, lower altitudes because base camp is still at 4,300 meters and basically anything above like 2,400 to 3,000 is considered high altitude. Um, So the decision was made, yeah, we're going to wait until the morning uh, when we have some light and then we're going to take him down and sort of decide what we're going to do from there. Uh, But it was a pretty big moment for our entire team. Um pretty big moment of reckoning like, oh, this trip could be over right now for all of us um, because of yeah. these circumstances. Which, like, I didn't even have the capacity to feel bad at that point. <laughs> I just <laughs> didn't feel anything. Um, I didn't even know what was going on, really. I just lay down and I actually did get some sleep after that, which was sweet. Um, woke up the next morning, they started packing all my stuff up for me. Um, and then once we were ready to roll, they, that's when they sort of got me up and I spent probably, apparently a crucially, lo- uh, an incredibly long time getting ready and getting dressed. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, yeah, and after that, um, they tried to see if I could walk and stuff and I couldn't really walk. Like I, I take a couple of steps and I fall down. Um, everything was pretty hazy. My balance was off. I couldn't. Really focus on anything. Um, I had I had like a vague notion that like we're going downhill, like we're going back to base camp. Sort of this is the plan. Um, but I would forget it at times and be like, we're going. Why are we going down? We're going down, down. We should go up. And then and then also come back and be like, oh, yeah, I need to go down. I should go down. <laughs> and then and then they tried like. So we're trying to go down in these whiteout conditions on terrain that has now been covered in, in some areas, up to a meter of snow. So we have, all of our landmarks are gone because our landmarks were rocks, but our rocks are under snow. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, we had, or I should say they had more of a difficult time navigating. I just sort of was dragged along wherever they went. Um, they tried multiple techniques to get me down the mountain, um. Putting me in one of our duffel bags and sliding me down. <laughs> um, we had some paracord, but we didn't have proper rope, so they tried to use that to to get me down. Um, they tried. They tried just like having my their arms around my shoulders and like walking me down like that. They tried making these little snow slides, which was actually the most effective. They'd make a snow slide for me, and I'd just go down. The
0: ultimate glissade.
1: <laughs> yeah um definitely got lost a few times where we were going down towards base camp because everything was cu- completely covered even base camp was under snow
0: yeah
1: um, and they had actually the the rangers had shut down uh, base camp they weren't allowing anyone to go any higher that day just yeah. because the conditions were uh, not great there was definitely some slides happening around as well. Home, which made things interesting. Uh, yeah, and once we got probably within within 10, to 15 minutes of the uh, of the base camp, to um, like medical people, sure. you know what I mean. Anyways, <laughs> they came up, they uh, they harnessed me up and they sort of brought me the last uh, last little bit. Um, they brought me to the base camp doctor and she checked my oxygen levels and everything. And gave me um, three shots of uh, what was it, DEXA dexamethasone, straight to the posterior, which was that woke me up real fast. <laughs> and then I just slowly started reintroducing, uh, reintroducing foods like soups and whatnot to try and hydrate myself at base yeah. camp. Um, and we had a decision to make at that point was, you know, whether or not I would um, get helicoptered out. And whether or not the expedition would continue. Um, And ultimately, once we got down to base camp, my recovery was so fast. Um, Like, so fast to the point that in the next week and a half, I actually went up even higher than I had been when I got sick. Just to visit the guys at a higher camp.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, Which was interesting. Interesting. Because um, usually you don't recover that fast at at base camp, but it turned out to be kind of all according to plan. <gasps> More foreshadowing.
0: Whoa. Oh.
1: <laughs> yeah. Ultimately, we spent the night at at base camp. We spent that whole day and night at base camp, um, which was super cool. We all sort of crowded into one of the um, one of the base camp shelters. We hung up a sort of a broken iPhone from strings from the ceiling and like we all snuggled together and watched a movie <laughs> that's awesome it was pretty great um and it, was, it was a cool team moment one of the one of the highlights of the uh of the trip in terms of team moments for myself at least yeah. um and then the next day we decided that three of the five members were going to continue and push for the summit and one other guy Corey was going to stay back with me at base camp and we would sort of see what what was going on there, and, and if we could do anything from there. Because we wanted to, we wanted to still support the team. We didn't want to just leave, as long as there were still people up on the mountain. So we uh, we made the decision to stay, and, and that was pretty cool move move on Corey's part to give up his um, his summit attempt um, to stay back with me. <laughs> so yeah, the next day. Three of them went up. Corey went up just to grab some equipment for us at base camp because we left quite a bit up at the higher camp, um, and he came back down. And like I said, my recovery was so fast. The next day, I was feeling almost strong enough to head back up again, which is pretty rare. Yeah. Or unheard of. So might have something to do with the three shots that the doctor gave me. I don't know. <laughs> stayed at camp um, and uh, sort of doing a lot of praying and spent some time alone with God up there just trying to ask like okay sweet like I knew you were going to do something and this is obviously this has your fingerprints all over it um, in terms of you trying to put me in the place where I'm supposed to be and I feel like as soon as all of that happened I felt so at peace with being at base camp that like the desire to summit or go higher just was completely gone I just had this complete clarity that I was exactly where I was supposed to be and this whatever was going to happen here at base camp was a big big part of the reason why I was supposed to be on the trip Um, and that was that was enough for me like as soon as I got that i was like sweet like okay now we're getting down to business like now it's all gonna happen some cool stuff's gonna happen we started we became good friends with the uh, one of the chefs at camp Mateus, and we just go in and like help him cook all day and hang out with him and just sort of we became <laughs> yeah we became friends with a lot of people at base camp Which doesn't normally happen because people come there for like a day or two and then they are gone up higher on the mountain. Maybe you see them later again, maybe you don't. Um, So there's never really a relationship between climbers and the base camp staff, the people that actually live there full time um, for the season. That was really cool. We just got to love on him and, and some of the other people there. And it got to a point too that like when, at the end of the trip, when the rest of the guys came down, we had this massive like family celebration dinner with a whole bunch of people from the camp and it just went late into the night and it was in typical argentinian style was it was just it was just awesome it was a tremendous night
0: i think that like the thing when you first told me that story like what i was so inspired by was just like your attitude about it because i know like that's still an area that i feel like i really need to work on it's just like being okay with my inability at times or like if something goes wrong that's kind of outside of your control i think that like man you had such good such a good attitude about it and such joy in it i think that that's kind of what it's supposed to be all about and it's just super encouraging and really inspiring it's really cool if you had to give advice to someone about or like improvement, wasn't able to send it, what would, <laughs> what would you tell them?
1: Well, hmm, that's kind of a tricky question because the it depends on your definition of sending it, right? Yeah, for sure.
0: Um,
1: if the definition has to do with preconceived notions of what what would be failure and what would be accomplishment, and something else happens, I mean, in reality, I just sort of look at it as that's kind of when adventure happens anyways, is when things don't go according to plan, and so you usually end up with better stories and, you know, more more personal growth and, and, I don't know, it's just better experiences.
0: Thanks for listening in, guys. Tune in next week for the Send it Podcast.